Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaHealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon everyone and welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods and our show today is entitled Sex Addiction and its Behavioral Manifestations. We're going to be talking about an inpatient patient treatment approach that was developed at Life Healing Center Santa Fe. And our guests today are Mary Young and Paige Paul. Uh, just to give you all an overview, um, sex addiction is rapidly becoming a mental health crisis in the United States and abroad. Each year, new research indicates that its growth is alarming. Mary Young, who's the executive director of Life Healing Center, and her team of clinicians have developed a sound approach to treating this disorder, rooted in the notion that trauma-based behavior aggravate the condition. Both Mary and her colleague, Paige Paul, are going to discuss with us the etiology of the disorder, its behavioral characteristics, and proven treatment approaches from an inpatient perspective. Welcome to One Hour at a Time, Mary and Paige. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Mary. Um, I'd like us to begin by just telling, by sharing with our audience a little bit of your background and how you became interested in, in treating sex addiction. Sure. I, this is uh, Mary. I'll go first. I've been in the behavioral health field for about um, 20 years at this point, actually slightly over 20 years, and have worked primarily in the field of chemical dependency um, and have, even though I've worked in wonderful treatment centers, uh, I've seen people go out and get sober and get abstinent go out and relapse. And frequently the, the reason for that is because there are unresolved issues related to their trauma history, uh, trauma is obviously very prevalent. Trauma histories are very prevalent in folks who have addictions um, because their trauma history has not been resolved. Um, what also happens frequently in addiction also is that um, an individual will become abstinent um, from what is perhaps their their primary substance of use, but then become cross-addicted with other substances or behaviors because again that primary treatment that primary trauma has not been addressed. Um, and that's frequently what we see with sexual sexual addiction, sex, love, and relationship addiction. <clears throat> um, and that's what's great about working at Life Healing Center is that we do address that trauma history. That's really a specialty of ours. So that's that's sort of the path that brought me here. Paige, what brought you to Life Healing Center? Well, I um, was I came on to Life Healing Center almost two and a half years ago and was initially hired on to run the chemical dependency addiction track, and, um, you know, I've always had a passion for, for working residential work. Um, it was within my first week or so that they offered me the position to run the men's sexual addiction program, and um, it, it, has been, it has been phenomenal. 
uh, looking at, you know, the connection. I am in my own personal recovery, and it wasn't until I con- completed my trauma work was I able to sustain long-term recovery. And, um, you know, I've worked in, I worked at another local facility here, and our recidivism rate was extremely high because we did not have the container to address the in-depth trauma work that needed to be looked at. So in working with, with sex addiction, we see people that come to us with multiple addictions as well as many clients who have had, you know, 1, 10, up to, you know, 20 to 30 years of recovery in substance-based programs. So, you know, it really, to me, solidifies the, the fact of it's the root trauma healing that needs to be addressed so that an individual can sustain, you know, lifetime recovery. I think sometimes in our profession, we we almost take for granted the fact that um, trauma occurs on so many levels for the folks that we work with, whether they're um, they're, they're children of alcoholics or they've been in um, major catastrophes or they they've been, um, you know, they're warriors or um, you know, they, they've been in unhealthy relationships or they've been sexually or physically traumatized. And I think after a while as providers, I think we become numb to it. That's certainly, that's certainly a possibility, become numb to it, Mary, or become re-traumatized by it in terms of vicarious or secondary trauma. Um, that's, that's definitely a risk for folks who work in this field and something that we try to address here for our staff here at Life Healing Center. Because I think, you know, we hear so much that after a while you just, mm-hmm. I don't want to say take for granted, but you begin to think, oh, well, that's part of addiction or that's that's part of some, that's usually happens to people who have addictive mm-hmm. disorders. That um, I think we all know that trauma is really, um, you know, the core of a lot of addictive disorders, but I, but I think a lot of us um, kind of take that for granted. And that's, well, I see that a lot with our clients as well because we do have people that come to us with with major trauma, you know, that is that is glaring and that is evident, you know, the, you know, physical and or sexual abuse, you know, severe cases of abandonment and neglect. And I know one thing that, you know, helps me because I, I mean, our, our, I mean, we're known for our trauma treatment as well as sexual addiction and chemical dependency and mood disorders. However, everyone that walks through our door, I know I look at, okay, where's where's the trauma here for this person? And so keeping that in the in the forefront of my mind in term of, in terms of their treatment planning is is useful because I, you know, a, the you know, the the subtle traumas, the you know, fact that, you know, a, a client is, you know, one of eight children you know, a stay-at-home mother is raising eight children and, that you know, they range from the ages of, you know, newborn to 16 years old, that can be traumatic for the individual themselves. Not that they were intentionally harmed. However, because of situations, their needs weren't met. And so, you know, sometimes it is to that point where, you know, the, the client has normalized their life so much that it, you know, is normal to them that their needs were never met. 
can you explain to our audience a little bit about how trauma happens? Because two people could um, experience the same situation, and one person could come away from it very traumatized, and another person not. Well, I look at it that they each person has a different resiliency factor. You know, I mean, if you look at, you know, if there's a an accident or whatever, and the police come, they're going to take accounts for from every single person that witnessed it that they can. And somewhere in all of those different accounts, they are going to find, you know, as close as they possibly can to the truth of the event. And, you know, as human beings, we, we in, instinctually protect ourselves from a traumatic event. You know, we will, you know, dissociate, compartmentalize, et cetera, in order to, in order to protect ourselves. So in, in doing that, you know, trauma, what is traumatic to me may not be traumatic to you. However, both of our experiences are valid and real. So when we're assessing people, um, how do we get to that um, level of, um, you know, to know, well, I may hear something as an interviewer that sounds, that doesn't sound very traumatizing, but to the person, it may have been devastating. So how do we, how do we assess for that? Um, the way, oh, do you want to go ahead, Mary? No, go ahead. Okay. The way, the way I look at it is, you know, seeing how, how that even affects them. When they think about that event, what feelings do they have? You know, with, if they've been in similar circumstances throughout their lifetime, how have they reacted? You know, really looking at the trauma response that's created for the individual. You know, because we do, as humans, we have, I mean, you know, it's, it's well known, the flight or fight response. And um, I'm also an art therapist, and I'll take it to another level in terms of doing artwork and break the trauma response down into seven different stages and see, you know, where is an individual stuck? You know, because our trauma response is developed at a young age, and it gets imprinted in our brain chemistry. So we're going to react similarly to, you know, an intense trauma as we would to, you know, a minor trauma, losing your car keys. You're still going to, you know, go to that place of freeze, oh, my goodness, where did my keys go? And you freeze and you can't, you know... Even if it's a split second, it still happens. Right. What are those seven stages of trauma? Um, startled, freeze, thwarted intention, automatic obedience, altered consciousness, body sensations or body memories, and self-repair. And so... Each of us would have a certain would have some level of response to a traumatic situation. Yes, and each of us goes through those seven stages, and it can happen in a split second. And so that's where the work comes in is breaking it down, breaking it down into you know minute pieces. Going okay, where do I? What does this stage look like for me? How am I going to learn how to intervene when that happens? So I can move all the way through to the self-repair stage. And that's what I, I've seen a lot in addiction is that we don't, those, you know, those of us that are addicts don't fully move all the way to the self-repair stage. And with the sex addiction treatment, there are, 
you know, multiple assessments that, you know, if we follow the, you know, the training that I've been through in terms of treating sex addiction, one of the, you know, wonderful assessment tools we have is the post-traumatic stress index. And that measure, not measures, but, you know, shows a client how they have recreated trauma in their life, how they've created trauma bonds with other individuals, et cetera. Right. Um, I'd like to kind of back up because I think uh, one of the things you mentioned was really very interesting is about how that last stage um, people don't, don't get through that. And why do you think that is? The way, I mean, and Peter Levine talks about in his book, now I forgot the name of it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, it'll come to me. I'll let you know. Okay. But if, if you look at the animal kingdom, when a, a predator animal goes after a prey animal and the, and the prey animal ends up getting away, the prey animal will go off into its, you know, home or its burrow and you know, convulse and shake and then sleep. And then the next day we'll go out and live its life like nothing ever happened. You know, doesn't walk around petrified constantly of, you know, oh my goodness, this eagle is going to come down and get me. Yes, it's aware of it because that's, that's human nature. And as humans, when we've experienced a trauma that we have not fully released and moved through and moved to that self-repair stage, there's part of us that stays stuck back in that trauma and we're on hyper alert, consciously or unconsciously. And so we never fully release it. We may, our brain may shut it out and say, okay, that happened, that's over, but our body can still hold it. And that's a, a primary piece of our program is incorporating different alternative therapies that are a lot of them are body based in order to use you know use learn how to use your body as a resource so what would trigger if if you have this body response what would trigger like if somebody's in recovery and they've been in recovery let's say from alcohol or cocaine or whatever what would trigger that body response that body memory for someone um well, I mean, we have a lot, I mean, talking about the trauma could happen. That's what we have a lot of clients here that go through is if they're doing EMDR or breath work or somatic experiencing and they, they begin to talk about the trauma and they, they, they may have body memories. Body memories come up. We've had, you know, a lot of, a lot of, you know, clients that, you know, in doing their work, they may, be, they may get sick unexplainably or, you know, they start suffering from headaches or a part of their body they experience a pain in. And so it's looking at it going, okay, you know, when, when in your life have you felt this? You know, yes, we'll check it out medically and say, okay, are you really sick? Is this really going on? What's happening? But sometimes it is that, that old trauma memory because your body does hold on to trauma at a cellular level. And those triggers can also include sounds, sights, smells, um, anything that's associated with that original trauma. When we think about um, addiction being a brain disease, 
that, um, well, we'll get right back to this after the next commercial. Um, if any of you out there have any questions, uh, please feel free to give us a call, and we'll be right back after this commercial. Listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Can you imagine a technology that takes human consciousness to the next level? One that reveals a new understanding of what is valuable and possible in the abundant support of life? The truth is, we already have that technology. We simply need to awaken to it and become the value it creates. For more about this, please tune in to Awakening Value, Shamanic Technologies of Consciousness and Success with host Marty Spiegelman. Awakening Value is live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Woods, and this is One Hour at a Time. Our guests today are Mary Young and Paige Paul of Life Healing Center of Santa Fe. And our topic today is sex addiction and its behavioral manifestations. In our first segment, we were talking about the, the really high rate of trauma in, with, in folks who have sex addictions and other addictions. And I think before we went to break, I was trying to make the point that um, whether it's alcohol or cocaine or or gambling, or sex, or or uh, overeating, it all goes to the same part of the brain. That that yes, in fact, sex addiction is a viable um, malady or mental illness. And that um, I think sometimes people think, oh, that's just um, you know that that's not really true. There there is no such thing as sex addiction. And I just would like your response to that, Paige or or Mary. Um, I am, a, you know, I, I truly believe that sex addiction is a true, true addiction. It does, you know, in acting out in sex addiction, the brain is 
is affected. You know, we do have clients that come to us, and once they discontinue acting out, they experience a detox. You know, with with sex addiction, the brain is used to receiving, you know, the intense hits of dopamine and all of the other chemicals that produce euphoria. Be that, you know, in their, you know, acting out in terms of, you know, ejaculation or in fantasy. You know, I mean, if you, as human beings, when we start thinking about something that we're excited about doing, we, you know, it's human nature, we, we get excited, we can get the butterflies, you know. If we're, you know, excited about going on a vacation, it's the, the anticipation, the build-up, and we finally get there, it's like, yay. Um, and the same thing happens with, with sex addiction because it, it also starts in the fantasy phase. And when a client gets here, the, you know, yes, they can still go to the fantasy place. However, their primary means of acting out are, are taken from them um, by, you know, admitting themselves into a residential program. And so the brain goes through a chemical detox. And, you know, they do experience irritability, depression, you know, racing thoughts, similar to, you know, you know that of, you know, a marijuana addict or a cocaine addict because we do not physically, physically become addicted to those substances. With alcohol, yes, we humans become physically addicted to it. You know, heroin, they need it to function, you know, they get extremely sick and with alcohol you can possibly die. However, you know, other substances, it's more psychological. And sex addiction shows up and there have, you know, Patrick Carnes has done in different brain studies on active sex addicts and their brain mirrors that of a cocaine addict. And with with sex addiction, he's, you know, followed it through and within and during active sex addiction, the gray matter, which is, you know, in the frontal lobe of your brain, it it dissipates. It goes away, and that gray matter is responsible for impulse control. And as we know, with all addicts, they 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 don't have impulse control. You know, they think I'm going to do this, and they do it. And even if it's something you know that they don't want to do, you know, someone wakes up and says, "I'm never going to drink again," and lo and behold, an hour later, they're drinking. Um, the they're lacking that ability for impulse control, and it shows up with sex addiction. That gray matter has dissipated. And then he did brain studies throughout the recovery process, and it showed within 90 days of abstinence from acting out sexually, and, you know, and that includes actually having sex, masturbation, you know, viewing pornography, et cetera, whatever the, the individual's primary means or means of acting out were, that that gray matter starts to redevelop in the brain. And so that... I mean, to me, there's no way to dispute that it isn't an actual brain disease because it does it affects how your brain functions. What's the difference between a sex addiction and promiscuity, if there is any? Well, I mean, there there is a huge there is a huge difference, and that's where the different assessments come in. You know, because it's similar to 
you know, if you look at, you know, from the outside, someone could say, oh, you know, you're an alcoholic, and it really comes down to that individual, you know, going through the different assessment processes and admitting it for themselves. And with sex addiction, it's similar. I mean, there's the initial um, SAST, which is, I forget how many questions it is. It's been changed recently. Um, but it, you know, is that initial, well, you know, maybe maybe you do have a problem. And then the the SDI, which is the Sexual Dependency Inventory, is an extensive, extensive assessment on, and it, on sex addiction, on your entire sexual history. And it is, you know, it, it can take a client up to two to three hours to complete this assessment. And it really, it, it'll, you know, it'll show, you know, is this, is this true addiction? Is this, you know, if this behavior continues, the possibility that it'll show up in this way and this way are high. What are the markers for sex addiction? What are the things that you look for? Um, you know, powerless, powerlessness, unmanageability, uh, buildup of tolerance, progression, you know, loss of time, loss of productivity. Adverse consequences. I'm sorry, Mary, what did you say? Adverse consequences, continued mm-hmm. use in spite of adverse consequences failed attempts to quit or cut back. Mm -hmm. Is it related to the number of partners uh, or um, is there an obsessive quality? Um, It can show up in the number of partners. However, you know, we have worked with many clients here who, you know, their, their sex addiction was strictly, you know, through pornography. They had never, you know... You know, we've had some that have never that were had never been sexually active with another human being before, and so it, it that doesn't have the number of partners can be an issue. You know, can be a now I forgot the word a marker. However, it doesn't have to be. You know, it's similar to you know the people that say, "Oh, I'm not an alcoholic. I I only drink beer." Uh-huh. Well. You can drink beer alcoholically. <laughs> so there's pornography, there's um, sexual acting out. Are there other things that would constitute a sex addiction, the behaviors? I mean, multiple things. Um, you know, voyeurism, exhibitionism. Uh, you know, if you if you put the love addiction and relationship addiction in that also, which is what we see a lot here, you know, it can it can show up in a multitude of ways. Fantasies. Um, it, it runs the gamut. And it's hard to say, you know, it sex addiction has to look this way. Because it, it doesn't. It's, you know, it's a process addiction and we're, you know, sex is part of life and it, it can manifest itself in multiple ways. What is the rate of, of um, sex addiction in people who have other addictions as opposed to people who just have sex addiction? I don't know. Do you know a specific number, Mary, about... I don't. I don't. I, don't. Um, I, I would say with, with people with addictions in general, it is, it is 
certainly not uncommon to be addicted to multiple or cross-addicted to multiple substances or behaviors. And again, that goes back frequently to that if the, if the trauma piece is not resolved, becoming abstinent in one area or with one substance, you may certainly become pick up something else because that, that trauma is still unresolved and is still triggering that sort of behavior. Mm-hmm. This is kind of a, I don't know whether <clears throat> this is a question that there's really an answer to, but, you know, if someone is in recovery from one addiction and they're involved in a 12-step program and they're working those 12 steps, um, then how how do you explain if they're working on that program, that they develop or they get into another addictive behavior? Well, denial <laughs> continues can continue on even when you're working a, a strong 12-step program in one area. Um, and, and, and other behaviors or other substances don't necessarily um, spring overnight um, in terms of, of, of picking up another behavior, another substance. <laughs> Um, it, it's, it's not necessarily going to be an addiction the first time that you do that. And the realization that that's, that that's happening, that you've fallen into another addictive behavior, pattern or behavior, can be, can be slow coming, that realization. Mm-hmm. And does that realization often coincide with more awareness of the trauma or um, more feelings because now that the, the, um, the first addiction is being treated, that there's this residue of, of feelings and experiences that start to bubble up? I certainly think that's one way it can. Um, the realization might come from from um, an adverse consequence, though, of somebody getting caught with a prostitute or caught in a, in a sting situation or being caught at work, viewing pornography at work. Um, I think there are a lot of different ways that, can, that realization can come about. What what is the um, what is the the typical presentation when someone comes for treatment? Is it because of what you were just talking about, Mary? They they've gotten caught in a, in a compromising situation, um, or do they just get to the point where they just sick and tired of being sick and tired? Both. Um, certainly, sometimes that realization has come across. A, come upon the client themselves that their life is unmanageable, that, that what they're doing is hugely problematic, and they want treatment to address that and to get their life back and to, to be able to live a, a more holistic life. But it also may be <clears throat> the employer or the partner or the parents um, drawing the line in the sand and saying, we're not going to support this any longer, and unless you get treatment, You'll lose your job. You'll lose your relationships. You'll lose your family. There, I think there are, are all manner of ways that, that people come to treatment and come to the realization that they do need help. And we'll be right back after this next commercial with Mary Young and Paige Paul of Life Healing Center of Santa Fe. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? 
Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, Family Center Recovery for Co-Occurring Mental Illness and Substance Abuse Disorders. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. This is One Hour at a Time, and I'm Mary Woods, and our show today is about sex addiction and its behavioral manifestations. Our guests are Mary Young and Paige Paul of Life Healing Center of Santa Fe. Um, In in our earlier segment, Paige had referenced um, a book that she remembered during the break. So, Paige, do you want to share with our (laughs) listeners the name of the book? It's, It's Waking the Tiger by Peter Levine. It is a phenomenal book that talks about the effects of trauma. And and how it how it manifests in our lives in relationship to the body as well. You had mentioned earlier about trauma bonds, and could you speak a little bit more about what they are and how they occur? Um, trauma bonds are when Patrick Carnes has an amazing book, The Betrayal Bond, and it really it focuses on this. Um, and my definition will be very elementary in comparison. However, it's you know, developing relationships with individuals and or situations that mirror past traumas we have experienced. Um, you know, a lot of what we see here is, you know, when someone has a, a history of, you know, they grew up in a home where their, you know, primary caregivers were emotionally unavailable. And they are, you know, on in essence, starving for that emotional connection, that emotional intimacy. However, their template only 
only knows what it looks like to receive from those who who can't give it. And so, you know, although they may want intimacy, they may want emotional connection, their relationship patterns show up and that they continue to get in relationships with individuals that are emotionally unavailable. And then they wonder why their needs aren't being met. They wonder why they get hurt, etc. I mean, that's one way that trauma bonds show up. And do we do that unconsciously? Absolutely. And um, is this sometimes why people are so prone to very unhealthy relationships in early recovery? I, I, I would have to say, you know, that's, it's one of the reasons for sure. As well as, you know, I mean, with, with early recovery, you know, because with active addiction, you, the individual is, doesn't know who they really are doesn't know, you know, what their needs are because, you know, once the the active addiction starts, you know, I'm sure many people have heard it said, you know, that's where your emotional development stops. And so, you know, say you started acting out or drinking or using or whatever it was, you know, in your early teens and now you're in your, you know, 20s, 30s, or 40s, you know, there's still, there's a lot of, of self-discovery and emotional development to be done. And on one hand, it's, you know, can sometimes the actions and behaviors can mirror that of a, you know, a teenager making decisions in a, you know, 30-year-old body. So, you know, that's the point about, you know, having, if, a, if someone is not in a primary relationship upon getting into recovery, you know, abstaining from creating one so that way, the individual can get to know themselves. You know, what are my true needs? What do I, you know, who am I? What do I want? What do I need? Etc. And also develop, because the spiritual component, we do, you know, follow the, and, you know, encourage the 12-step model of recovery here. And a huge component of the 12-step program is spirituality. And one thing that I've seen addicts across the board suffer from is codependency. And I will talk to the clients about that is, you know, if you're not already in a primary relationship, let's not go there yet. So you can develop a spiritual connection that works for you and don't make another human being a power greater than you in terms of the codependent relationships. So in terms of inpatient treatment, um, you've mentioned EMDR and you've mentioned um, treatment for codependency. What are some other inpatient treatments that you utilize? You mean inter- interventions, Mary, that we use yes. here? Yeah. So EMDR is a, is a huge one. That's obviously um, evidence-based practice for trauma. Um, in our adjunctive therapies, we also use somatic experiencing. We use Hakomi. We use... Um, Equine therapy, we need, we use Reiki, we use uh, massage therapy and acupuncture. Did I leave any out, Paige? Breathwork. Breathwork, yes. Breathwork is a very important piece of what we do. And is this individualized or how, how do you determine who gets what type of treatment? 
Mm-hmm. It is individualized. Um, when the patients are admitted or the clients are admitted, <clears throat> the first thing that happens is they have a, a, an assessment with their primary therapist. Um, and from that assessment or the psychosocial, um, we're also going to get information from the family members. We're going to get information from the um, outpatient therapist or, or prior treatment providers that have worked with the patient so that we have as full a picture as possible of what's going on with them. From that process, the treatment plan is developed and the, the adjunctive therapies are actually written into the treatment plan based on what the primary therapist believes is indicated for the, for the particular client. So um, can you give an example how um, breath work helps you know, someone recover? Sure. Paige, you want to speak to that? Yeah. Breath work in in active addiction and in trauma survival, um, people don't breathe. Uh, breathe enough to survive, you know, short, shallow breaths. Um, and part of that is maintaining the dissociation from the body. Um, and with breath work, it, it helps you... And I'm this, you know, I'm not a trained breathwork therapist, but, you know, it helps you release the trauma on a somatic level, on a cellular level, which is what I spoke about earlier, is that your body remembers things. You know, if you've ever walked into a situation and, you know, thought, you know, had that gut feeling of like, ooh, I don't know if I should do this, and, you know, turned around and it was a, you know, great, great choice to leave the situation because, you know, you escaped something potentially dangerous, or you went anyways and something bad happened to you. Um, you know, it, it's learning how, learning how to listen, learning how to breathe, learning how to release on a, on a cellular level. And um, you mentioned about, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to forget about, about body function. You do some type of body work. Mary, you'd mentioned one of those as a treatment intervention. I'm not sure what I was referring to as part of, of, of the additional therapies that we offer. Yeah, 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 the alternative therapies. Hakomi and somatic, I think, were two that I mentioned. And could you explain what those are? Well, they're really a, a means of, um, for trauma survivors, um, frequently what happens is there's a total disconnect um, from our mind, um, and our brains and our bodies. And as Paige has said, um, trauma mel- memories are held at a, at a, at a cellular level. Um, so with Hakomi and somatic work, the intent is to reconnect um, and, and um, form a bridge uh, between the body and reconnect the body and the brain um, holistically so that that connection is made. Um, in our treatment centers, you'll, you'll frequently hear a, a, a therapist say, you know, they're totally in their head. They're not connected at all emotionally um, to their history and to their trauma. And so those, those adjunct therapies are a means of, of making that connection. In terms of treatment, um, you had mentioned that you utilize 12-step work. What happens to somebody after they leave an inpatient setting? Well, what happens when someone leaves is is really uh, as important as what happens to them when they're with us, because for all of the the things that we treat here, whether it's a mood disorder or it's a sexual addiction or it's a chemical dependency, uh, recovery is a lifelong process, um, and it doesn't 
folks don't graduate from treatment and go out into the world and, and never have another issue. So a, a huge piece of what we do, and this is really something that starts at the at the point of admission during that treatment planning process, is what needs to happen after they leave the Life Healing Center. Because the work they do here is critical. The work that they continue to do once they leave here is essential. Um, and one without the other is not going to get a good result. So when, when patients leave our treatment facility, they leave with a discharge plan that's going to include, may include a number of things. Besides an outpatient um, a therapist for talk therapy, it may also re- include referrals for ongoing EMDR. Uh, for folks who do have an addictive disorder, and that's most of our clients, um, it's going to include ongoing uh, 12-step meetings. What 12-step meetings are they going to attend? How many are they going to attend? Uh, how quickly are they going to get a sponsor? All of that's critical. If they're on medications, it's going to include um, a referral to a psychiatrist if they don't have one when they came to us. So that we're sending them out with as comprehensive a discharge plan as we can um, because that reentry um, back into the real world can be very difficult after having been in a, in a, in a contained environment, um, supportive environment in which folks, for the most part, don't have any access to um, whatever their addictive substance is, that can be a very abrupt transition from that sort of environment back in the world. So we want to build in as many supports as possible um, for them when they make that transition. We also want to involve the family in that so the family is educated about what ongoing work is going to look like and that there is going to be ongoing work and that there's going to be ongoing and absolutely necessary involvement in the 12 steps so that the family members have a realistic perspective of what life after discharge is going to look like and so that they can be supportive of the patient. Um, I know you need to go to your 12-step meetings, and I I absolutely support you in that. So we want the families to be on board uh, with the discharge plan as well. We know that um, every type of addiction affects um, members of the family. Mm -hmm. I would think, though, that sex addiction carries a little extra weight because there's there's a betrayal here at a whole different level. And what kind of treatment is there for the partner of someone who's in who has a sex addiction? Mm-hmm. Paige, do you want to speak to that? Yeah. Well, I mean, with this is you know the treatment of the partner is very is very tricky, and you know because disclosure disclosure from the you know the addict to their partner is is part of recovery, and you know, but however. A lot of the partners do experience a PTSD response because life as they know it has, you know, has shattered, has crumbled once the, you know, behavior is discovered. So, um, you know, being that we are a residential facility and we have people from all over the country and all over the world at that, you know, our, our program, we have to really work with outpatient providers in order to help to help the spouse to the best of our ability. And we'll be right back after this commercial um, for our final segment on sex addiction and behavioral manifestations. If you have any questions, give us a call. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. We're in our final segment with Mary Young and Paige Paul of Life Healing Center, Santa Fe, and we're talking about sex addiction and its behavioral manifestations. While we were um, at break, we were talking about disclosure. And Paige, could you just summarize for our audience what you were sharing with me about your um, feelings around disclosure? Um, I, I believe that disclosure is is an extremely necessary piece for the recovery of the addict as well as the partner and the couple as a whole. Um, it is, however, a very, a very tricky, a very tricky thing to maneuver because we are across the country, and people travel here for family weekend. It does take working with the uh, partner's therapist to make sure that they are ready to hear the information they're going to hear. And we also, you know, when I do disclosures with with clients and partners, it is about sticking to the facts. This is the fact of what happened. You know, we don't go into explicit detail. We don't, you know, tell stories about it. You know, I try to encourage them after the disclosure happens to not talk about it. Um, Not to let the, and this is, you know, it comes up a lot, the partners will ask me, well, you know, I should be able to know everything. Yes, you should, and we also want to look at, you know, not re-traumatizing the the partner even more than they already are, 
as a result of the behaviors. Um, and sometimes that disclosure happens when the client is with us. Sometimes it, it can take years for both individuals to be ready to disclose. So it's, you know, it's not a, a one-size-fits-all type thing. We have to really look at it, you know, on an individual couple's basis. What is this, what is this couple ready for? And really the way I look at it in terms of, you know, the addict that's here, you know, they have 24-hour support. They're here, they're at a treatment center, they've been working on themselves, developing connections. And, you know, it's the, it's the partner that comes into town that's my primary concern because they're the ones that have to leave our facility, go to a hotel, and, you know, possibly be alone for the next, you know, 12, 14 hours until they come back to campus for the next session or the next group, whatever, you know, their weekend looks like. And, you know, that that's where it gets it gets tricky in the residential aspect. They really are the most vulnerable because they're yeah. the least supported. Exactly. Um, when when you think about um, aftercare, isn't there a twelve step group for couples? Yes, there is. And there's what, a, I mean, there's there's RCA, which is Recovering Couples Anonymous, and and then there's also Essanon and COSA. And Essanon is because with I mean with the S fellowships, there's SA, SAA, SLAA. And CSA is in some areas. And CSA and, would be? Uh, compulsive. Sex addiction? Sex, yeah, compulsive sexual acting out anonymous. So maybe it's CSAA. Okay. And um, there are, I mean, and then S-Anon is, you know, Al-Anon for sex addiction. And then COSA is Co-Sex Addicts Anonymous. And then the Recovering Couples Anonymous. And this is, the, you know, depending on the location of the client determines what meeting opportunities they have. You know, a wonderful thing is, and I guess it's on one hand it's kind of a double-edged sword, but, you know, there are online meetings for those clients that don't have access to face-to-face meetings. You know, but that becomes tricky when we have someone whose, you know, primary addiction shows up on the computer and you know now that that's the if that's the only way they can get their recovery, it's really developing a, a support plan around that. Right. How can people learn more about sex addiction and its behavioral manifestations? Um, any any information you can read about you know that Patrick Carnes has written, you know Ken Adams. Ah. Uh, now I'm forgetting everybody else's name who has written phenomenal. Is there a certification that. for um, therapists that want to specialize in sex addiction? There is um, through ITAP, which is the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals. Um, there is a extensive CSAT training program that I have. I have completed all of the four modules, and there are other therapists you know, other team members here that are in the process of doing that as well. And how can people find out more about um, your your work and the Life Healing Center of Santa Fe? They can go to our website, which is www.lifehealingcenter.com. 
excuse me, www.life-healing.com. And are there other ways to contact you? Is there an 800 number? or? Yes, there is an 800 number page that's on the business card on my desk, if you'd get that. I am <laughs> pulling, it I'm is pulling a, a brain fade on what the number is. 800-989-7406. So if there's, if there's one thing you could leave with our audience today, Mary, what would that be? Well, what the message I would leave is that recovery is possible, um, whether you're talking about sexual addiction or any other um, any other addiction, um, that there is wonderful treatment and support available for that, and people who are living the, the utter misery of this addiction or any other, that there is help available to them and there's recovery available to them. Um, and in some cases, it's just a matter of reaching out for that. It's hard work, but it is absolutely worth it. And Paige, one quick thought for our audience before we end for today. Uh, never, never give up. Um, there is, like Mary said, there is always help out there, and there is a way. There's a way through the pain. Thank you both for being guests today and for sharing um, with us about sex addiction, and also for sharing with us about the Life Healing Center of Santa Fe. It sounds like a great place to go. It's a wonderful spot. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Mary. I hope you all have a wonderful week, and um, we'll be back here same time next week. Take care, everybody. appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.